You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we get to the podcast, well, this is the podcast, but before we get to the interview that we're yes. going to do with Jacqueline, yes. the actual Houston Colding. meat of the podcast. Yes, this is the appetizer. Mm-hmm. And we just want to let you know, we do lots of events and have lots of opportunities outside of our podcast. And we want to maybe develop the habit of letting you know about those because we every time we get a chance to be local on the ground with people that listen to our podcast or who who are connected to gravity through our weekly links or coaching, mm-hmm. we benefit a great deal. Yeah. And we hear from you that uh, you enjoy it too. Yeah. So this week we have two things coming up. One is in Ohio. Ben Harbin, you're going to be there. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, I'm going to be in Dayton, Ohio with our friends at Salem Church of God on August 24th doing a boot camp. Uh, mm-hmm. Boot camps are an opportunity for us to kind of train in the paradigms, postures, practices, and presence of leadership, um, leading like Jesus. But it's designed not just for pastors, not just for academics, not just for Christian leaders, but for uh, everyday folks in our community who are mm-hmm. leading small groups or teaching Sunday school for the kids or those kinds of things. So it's kind of a training, a one-day event on uh, making disciples, leading like Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be me and Kristen Dooley that are going to be there. So it's going to be super fun and, yes. uh, and a good day. Yep. Yeah. So if you're interested in, in, in the, the registration is open to anybody, if you if you guys want to come, uh, you go to gravityleadership.com slash bootcamps. And uh, you can see there's a link down there at the bottom uh, to this this one in Dayton, in the Dayton area. Yeah. Yeah. So. And if you're listening and would be interested in bringing something like that to your community, you can uh, you can email us. There's a there's like a podcast email, right? Podcast at gravityleadership.com. So, yeah. yeah. It's cool. great. And not only will we be in Ohio, but we've been invited to participate in an event in Indiana up in Fort Wayne. Yeah. Strinky and I will be there. Yeah. The same day. Um, some of our friends at Fremont Community Church are hosting a gathering with Brad Jerzak. Who's been on the podcast. He has been on the podcast. One of the very early yeah. episodes, if you want to go look that up. That's uh, a podcast. It's a very good one. I got saved. Yeah. Matt got saved. I cried a little bit. Yeah. It was great. Mm. It was great. Neither of those things happen very often. No. No. That, yeah. <laughs> Matt hardly ever gets saved. No, uh, but it was a good. Uh, it was a good time uh, talking with Brad. And Brad's going to be doing um, Friday night, August twenty third, and Saturday, August twenty fourth, uh, all day at Fremont 
Community Church, which is uh, northern, very northern Indiana, almost Michigan, uh, up there. So if you're in that area, um, feel free to check that out. Uh, I think the the URL to go to for that is cruciformgathering.eventbrite.com. It'd be nice if we could put these links in the show notes, wouldn't it? We will do that as well, yeah. for sure. All right. They will be Good in the idea, show notes. Matt. Yep. Thanks. Um, so, so yeah, a couple upcoming events. Um, and also, in a couple weeks, we're going to have something new uh, available for you. Another way to connect uh, with with Gravity Leadership. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Matt? We Just are all tease. getting Snapchat accounts. <laughs> 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 no. I already have one, but no. it's uh, it's mainly just to I, my daughters. I just Snapchat with my daughters. Just to monitor my children. We've been <laughs> we've been what looking are they putting for on Snapchat? we've been looking for ways to expand our community. We hear from you all the time that you uh, want to connect more with the Gravity Leadership audience because we have such a wide audience in terms of denominational and history and even demographically mm. and there's a there's a centering of a heart on the love of God and Jesus and how does that work its way out in relationships and leadership and mission etc. Yeah. One of the things we've uh, we're going to do is we're going to, we've developed a platform on Patreon and we're going to begin to uh, publicize that and roll that out in the next month or two. Yeah. Right? And and that's going to give us a give you a chance to not only connect with people who uh, feel central and core to our community, but also as a way for you to support us financially, if you so choose, because all of us are pastoring churches. Gravity is the way we make tents. And we have, we'll have a number of different levels of financial support. The first level will be exceedingly affordable, cheaper mm-hmm. than Netflix, as we say. <laughs> and um, it'll give yeah. you a chance to... And there'll be a list of things that you get with your support. And some of them, some of them are actually pretty cool. We're going to create yeah, some new I'm, content. I'm really excited about that autographed 8x10 of Sternkey. Yeah. <laughs> with, with, I'm trying to lose a little weight before they take my picture for it. Yeah. You know what flashed in my head? That picture of Vladimir Putin on a bear, yeah. you know, with his shirt oh, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I should do that. Just photoshopping Sternkey's head on definitely need to lose some weight. You used to do like glamour shots. You could do glamour <laughs> shots at the mall. I was thinking more of that. Like oh, okay. Ben Sternkey's glamour shot. I am. I am watching through uh, Stranger Things season three oh. with my kids, and uh, yeah. they there there's you know it's all it's eighties nostalgia. And shots yeah, those Russians. There's glamour shots. Yeah, it's very eighties nostalgia. Yeah. You so uh, be on the lookout for that. We're gonna yeah we'll couple have, weeks. We'll have more to that. I know the reason we're yeah the reason we're doing it is what I've said, but a number of you have indicated that you'd like to support us. So this will be uh, one of the ways you can do that. Yeah. Yeah, and and really a way just to connect, uh, to more f- more deeply connect with you, and to create a way for y'all to connect with each other. I think that's going to be one of the most yes. uh, exciting parts of it for me is you being able to connect with uh, people from all over the country who uh, feel like they're part of our community and feel like they're on the same journey, um, and so we can be encouraging for one another. Yep. In that and, journey. Yes. And so that the tag at the beginning of the podcast doesn't exceed the length of the actual podcast. Yes. True. We yep. will end it now. All right. Uh, looking forward to... This was a great interview. I hope you guys really enjoy uh, hearing from yeah, Jacqueline. Good. Uh, she had a uh, just a tremendous amount of wisdom um, so to share. So yep. we're excited. It, here, here we go. <laughs> Music. Music cue. Go. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world. 
learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together. Objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Hey friends, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. My name is Ben Sternke. I'm one of the co-founders of Gravity Leadership, and I'm joined today remotely. I'm in my office in Indianapolis, but I'm joined today remotely by my fellow co-founders, Matt Tebby, uh, who is on vacation in Pauly's Island, South Carolina. Well Cheers. done, but buddy. Yeah. Working on vacation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we, uh, Matt's working Don't on vacation. Start. Yes. And Ben Hardman, who's, uh, in his, uh, home office in, in Atlanta. Nice to yep, see you. Ben. No vacation yeah. for yeah. me. Yeah. Me neither. Um, well, and today the three of us are joined by, um, uh, a, a guest, uh, that we're going to be introducing here in just a second. Um, but Jacqueline, Houston Kolnick is also joining us. Uh, where where are you actually uh, located, Jacqueline? Chicago, Illinois. Chicago, Midwest. Illinois. Yeah, the Midwest. Wow, uh, but I'm from California. Are you so. really? You grew up there? Mm-hmm. Very good. I did. Okay. Sunshine State. Awesome. Well, very good. Matt, do you want to set up uh, kind of what we're going to be talking about today with Jacqueline? Sure. Jacqueline and I have a mutual friend. Oh. Who will remain unnamed? Because I've oh. tried to get that mutual friend on this podcast about six times, and she keeps—I've asked her twice, and she's <laughs> given me names of two other people to have on. And Jacqueline was one of them. Oh. Uh, so we have a mutual friend who is a mystery. Uh, this is a fun yeah. mystery. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I mean, uh, just a little backstory about how um, how and why Jacqueline's here. So we started this power series. We've been discussing how power operates in the Christian life as a Christian leader, and we have primarily had uh, dudes on the series talking about how dudes see power. Uh, that du- is not lost. Dudes meaning men. That's what you okay. mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, Just that's to be clear term. for our listeners, yeah. All right, great. I'm glad, I'm glad you're bringing it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bring it down to the, the every person level. Gentlemen, yes. Not, not the and, academic uh, language anymore. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going here. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And we had a hard time finding women, not because we didn't know any, but because um, when we when when white guys invited women onto the podcast to talk about power, they said no. I don't blame them. <laughs> uh, but we have had a hard time, and and, and uh, we've we've got some women uh, who are saying yes, but um, they are uh, they're we've we've scheduled them out a little bit uh, here, and we've been waiting four months to talk to Jacqueline, and she's one of the women who didn't say no. So we're super <laughs> excited to have you here, Jacqueline. Will you give us a brief introduction of who you are, um, what you spend your time doing, and mm-hmm. and what you're here to chat about. Yeah, happy to. Um, So my work, my work in uh, currently is around victimization. So I'm a victimization researcher. Um, My background is in community psychology, which I like to call the social justice end of psych. So it's a blend of Hmm. um, sociology, anthropology, and psychology all mushed together. 
Um, and so uh, that's where I received my graduate training. Um, and my dissertation was on religious leaders and their understanding and responses to intimate partner violence. Um, so I've also done some other research work on uh, religious congregations as social settings for social justice engagement and um, a variety of things. Uh, but really, when I entered grad school, I was interested in gender-based violence. And my advisor was more religious congregations, and so then we ended up merging our two together huh. um, over my career, which is pretty cool. That is pretty Cool. Yeah. So now, um, as my, I have a day job that's researching victimization, but then on the side, I work with congregations um, to help them think through policy development, trainings, um, things of that nature related to gender-based violence. Um, I think it's also important. I'm part of a congregation myself. I grew up in the church um, and have been a part of churches for my whole life. So understanding that setting, I think, has a unique perspective as then a researcher who looks into those settings from a different lens, but also can speak the language of congregations. Um, so yes. it's a very interesting uh, parallel between my two worlds of victimization and then uh, also being part of a religious congregation and what that looks like. So yeah. that's a bit of background about me. That's awesome, great. Jacqueline. Before Ben gets in with his clarifying question about your academic language, let me. <laughs> let well, she me didn't. She it. didn't use the word dudes, so yeah, she's good. Fine. You stayed away yeah. from that um, terminus. Highfalutin, highfalutin um, language. Intimate partner violence is that a synonym for domestic abuse? And if if not, how is it distinct? Great question. Um, so, intimate partner violence would be violence in between romantic partners. So that could be present, former, um, all included. Okay. Uh, so that is more so in the context of relation, uh, romantic relationships, domestic abuse or domestic violence is a more comprehensive term, um, that often, uh, it can be defined in a variety of ways. Uh, but it does also take into account other people in the home. So it might right. be abuse between um, a child and a parent or other people who are living in the home, which is why domestic, i.e. house. Um, so some people domicile. use the term. Yes, domicile. Yeah. Ben? That's good, yeah. Okay. I get, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. If the, the violence, uh, if it happens, uh, you know, if dudes are involved, does it count? I'm <laughs> yes, just, it counts. I'm, I'm just joking. That's um, really I'm helpful. sorry, Jacqueline. I'm sorry already. I'm sorry. That's really, Jacqueline, so really helpful. this is this is great. How did you get interested? How did this become a, a area of focus for you? Yeah. Um, I think for me personally, I, my mom and I always joke that as a kid, I would never keep my toys. <laughs> like I'd go to school and always see other people around me. So I had this attuneness to uh, <laughs> social injustice or just differences that, um, exist in our world. And so I've always been someone who's been really interested in kind of uh, social inequalities and wanting to be at the forefront of justice. And so um, from a young age, I think that was built within me. Uh, but actually my sister, when I was in college, mentioned that there was this trip that was going to Cambodia and Thailand uh, related to human trafficking. She mm. thought I might be interested. I didn't really know what that was. Um, and actually ended up researching it and through some of my coursework was all of a sudden so aware of what human trafficking was and how it was both international and domestic 
And that just kind of took me off on this journey that started with exploring um, human trafficking and working with an organization here in Chicago. And then uh, I became a rape crisis advocate in a hospital where you respond to survivors of sexual assault uh, when they're in the ER and you advocate on their behalf. And so it's just kind of been this whole journey through finding a passion in wanting to um, promote healing, respond to trauma, um, promote social injustice, fight for justice. Um, It's kind of been innate in me. Um, And then I think also my faith informs that, right? Um, To really be with um, people in the midst of their pain and to be bring light and healing and and hope um, that Jesus offers, mm. um, whether that be explicitly stated or just my presence um, holding him with me. So I think mm. it's kind of been a convergence of factors that have come together. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So I'm curious. I mean, I think we all are. Like, uh, what did you find when you began researching how churches respond and deal with intimate partner violence? Yeah. Uh, So many different things. Um, So some of it was um, there's different roots of violence, right? So there's different philosophical lenses, theories about why violence happens. Um, And one of them is power and control. So it's more so an individual who wants to assert power and control over another person. And then there's also the other predominant theory is about generational violence. So that violence is a learned behavior, Um, or passed down from generation to generation, which a lot, um, some leaders brought up scriptures that talk about generational um, sins passed down through uh, individual lines, family lines. So I think some of it was that their understanding of violence was either not very developed or was one of those two theories, um, which is not unsurprising. Many of us don't have a theory of violence that we walk around with if it's not your day to day. Right. Yeah. I mean, how often do you really think about it? Um, not very often for no. many people. No. Um, yeah. But then I would say one of the biggest things that I continually heard was this thing that I've termed the gradation of violence, which is that uh, oftentimes leaders talked about verbal violence on the lower end and physical violence on the higher end. And so that linked to their response, right? Once it crosses the line of physical violence, then I will respond. Uh, But what research shows is that actually emotional violence, um, many survivors describe it as just as impactful, if not more impactful, because those words continue to stay with them. When bones heal, bruises go away. Mm. I think um, that's something that is really a, ripe area for us to continue to educate people about because emotional violence can be just as traumatic um, and harmful as physical. Hmm. Yeah. That's really fascinating. I mean, I, I grew up with the adage sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know, and it was sort of the, it was the antibodies, the verbal antibodies that were injected in me to deal with bullies and to deal with hurtful words. But what you're saying is research actually indicates that uh, words actually do hurt. Yeah. And they hurt longer than maybe a bruise or a broken bone does mm-hmm. or in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. That they can be just as impactful. And, and so it's not to say that one might be, I think each individual's person person's experience is going to be different and unique and what sticks with them, stays with them, what harms them. Um, 
will be distinct to them. But I do think it's ultimately, I think leaders are talking about violence sometimes in ways, and we all talk about violence in ways where we might downplay or not even see that emotional violence is just as important or verbal Mm -hmm. violence. Um, You know, people, I've had individuals describe different types of um, conversations they've had with their partner and you're kind of hearing it and they're like, yeah, you know, just like, isn't that what you experience? And you're like, well, maybe, but actually there's probably some good follow-up questions we should ask because (laughs) is this standard in your life? Or one religious leader talked about how um, it was episodic. Uh, So there was a individual recently lost his job, um, was drinking. And when he was drinking, he got me. And so it was saying, oh, well, that's, it only happens every now and again. So it's really not, you know, we, if we just deal with the job thing and the drinking thing, then we'll be fine. Hmm. But those aren't really, that might be situations that might bring out violence, but for that family, there's probably other indicators that have happened over time that really should be dug into further. But we often think if we just deal with these external pieces and not the verbal, emotional impact or violence, then that's fine. Yeah, that's yeah. good. And so, and so you're finding that churches and religious leaders, they may have on their radar like, hey, um, spouses shouldn't, shouldn't be punching each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but less sensitive there they are to like, uh, verbal, emotional, abusive patterns of communication related. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also sometimes, um, I would say individuals who use violence often are strategic in the ways in which yes. they use violence. And so it might be that that language doesn't come out in front of a relig- religious oh. leader. Right. Um, yeah. Or it might be in more subtle ways and forms. And without proper training, you might not be able to, one, identify those more subtle forms. Um, and two, it's probably not going to come out in front of a leader all the time. And so it really is trusting someone's experience, um, mm-hmm. trying to understand. And also, it's not best practice to actually bring two people together if you think that there's violence in the relationship, which is another thing that leaders often do. Mm-hmm. Um and that many people do. Uh, and, and so it's also like you might not have that context. If you think violence is happening, it's actually not best to bring two people together in a room and ask them explicitly because yeah. that could cause further harm. Well, I mean, mm. so I don't know, uh, Ben, if you guys have a response to that. But when I hear that, I think 90% of well-meaning pastors, that's exactly what they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's, bring the, let's, let's figure this out. Let's bring these people together, like not understanding a lot of those dynamics you just talked about that this -hmm. could cause further issues, you know, like, like the, uh, you know, the, the woman usually in the relationship is probably going to be punished later for the fact that we even had to have this conversation or, you know, that, that sort of a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. but again, just like the knee jerk, yeah. Well-meaning pastors, just this knee jerk reaction. I'm just, I'm struck by that, that Mm -hmm. unless, unless we're specifically trained to kind of recognize what we need to recognize and, uh, understand the dynamics that we need to understand that that are very like if you don't come from this kind of background like you just don't really understand how this works um, mm-hmm. and it's really really important to understand how it works part of what I hear you saying yeah yeah well and I would say the biggest thing so in my advocacy work the language we always use is you follow their lead and so whoever is the one who's been harmed it's asking them 
hey, how would you like to move forward here? <laughs> what would you like to do? Maybe yeah. they do want to have a conversation yeah. with that person in the room. And then I think uh, the importance of safety planning. So talking through, okay, what happens if this person, your partner's escalated? Mm. What are we going to do? Following, if we don't leave at a spot that feels safe, then where are you going to go? Where are you going to stay? What are you going to do? So I think also it's leaders having a 101 of safety planning um, in order to really walk through how do we help engage in these moments, but also recognize when it extends beyond us and connecting to other resources. Jacqueline, it strikes me that what you're doing there is giving the person in the relationship who has not experienced power, you're giving them power. You're saying yes. you get to call the shots. What do you want yes. to do? Which is probably not a, it's probably not the kind of question they're used to answering, in, at least in the mm-hmm. relationship they have with their intimate partner, right? Absolutely. And they know their life best. And they know the yeah. individual who uses violence best. They know um, how to keep themselves safe because really they've been keeping themselves and possibly their children safe right. for a very long time. Um, or, or navigating safety as best as they can in the current context. And so it's saying, I don't know your world. I don't know your reality. You know it. You've been navigating it. So let's see, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? And I'm going to follow you to give power back. And also because they know best how to keep themselves safe. Yep. It's Mm. really good. Great. It's great. It strikes me, Jacqueline, that there's times when the church is trying to come alongside and help, and they're actually doing more harm uh, in the, in the situation, how, how would you advise just, uh, everyday pastor to, to come alongside and, and, and be there in grace and love to walk beside and to actually contribute to healing, uh, and mm-hmm. restoration and actually protect the abused, uh, rather than protect the abuser. Uh, what are some just practical steps for, for those of us who are in the ministry every week and and dealing with some of these things to come alongside and serve and protect? That's a great question. Um, I think there's a variety of things. One is start doing the work to educate yourself now, (laughs) um, before you have an instance that comes forward. Um, there's a great, author. Her name's Nancy Nason Clark. Um, She coined this term, the holy hush, which is around religious congregations being silent about um, mostly domestic violence and intimate partner violence. Um, And she has some great books about this um, that I would say would be great resources to read. If you're in, someone's in seminary or you have the connection back to courses that are about violence, I would say that's another great way to educate But in the moment of, let's say, an instance someone comes forward, um, is really to listen. Uh, The key phrases we learned in advocacy are, you know, I believe you. It's not your fault. You have options. um, Exploring those options. Uh, The other thing is connecting to your local uh, domestic violence agency, your local rape crisis center, and having a relationship um, to know when your limit you're ultimately limited in kind of some of the support you have and also your knowledge of violence. But what you do have is a knowledge of suffering, a knowledge of how there's hope um, from Christ, that Christ is near to them in their suffering. Um, And so I think it's really doing the work around your religious beliefs in light of violence as well, because that's something that 
service providers don't have. As a rape crisis advocate, I was never trained on how to respond to, you know, spiritual conversations, yet they came up all the time I was in the ER. Why did God allow this to happen to me? Yeah. Why, if God's good, then why did that per- why did this happen? Hmm. Um, and I knew a little bit about how to navigate those conversations from my own faith, but many don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. You know, uh, a couple a couple things that occur to me. Oh, go ahead, Harvin. No, you go ahead, buddy. You're on well, vacation. I'll- I am on vacation. <laughs> I'm going to have another drink of this ice cold water. Hang on a second. Yeah. Um, no, what occurs to me is that um, a lot of people, when they when they hear of any conflict, uh, let's say there's a mer- emotional or verbal abuse, uh, most pastors want to want to categorize that in some sort of biblical category they have, and so they just sort of slap it into their Matthew 18 machine and try to get yes. people to sit down and. Okay, so uh, you know, let's just say it. Let's just say, for the st- sake of caricaturization and stereotype, that it's a it's a female that's being verbally or emotionally abused by a male in, in a relationship, and and they bring this woman um, in front of her abuser, and they say you have to confront him, and mm-hmm. and ask him to repent. Yes, um, and uh, I I would say most pastors maybe they're waking up to the fact that this isn't healthy and helpful. Mm-hmm. But but it's the only imagination that most pastors have for how to handle this. Can you yes. can you help us understand? Like, talk to us like children because most of us are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us why that is insufficient, unhelpful, and even perhaps poor leadership on on behalf of pastors. Yeah, I have so many thoughts in my head. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think one is. Ultimately, um, from many people I've spoken with who've experienced violence, the shame shame is immense. And that is where, um, and oftentimes abusers are using shameful language um, and sometimes biblical language to further perpetuate the abuse. And so someone who's saying, okay, now confront your abuser. You have no, you've had... Some, this person who's harmed you, who has power over you, who, and we have no safety plan, um, that's a really harmful place, or could be a very harmful place, I should say, for someone because none of that has shifted, right? Uh, they're still very much in the threat of violence. Um, but back to that shame piece becomes, I think a lot of the language I know I heard growing up was to be a good Christian is to forgive. Um, yes. And so you highlighted it right in your thing of, okay, confront him to repent. And it's so this language of forgiveness, repentance, reconciliation are these high things that we have to go for immediately or they're the pinnacle of this conversation and interaction. But really, that's a process and a lifelong process. And um, I think repentance, asking the person who's been harmed to be responsible for the harm person who is harming's repentance Ooh. is not appropriate. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think so often we put that onus on that individual when that's yeah. might, might not be what they want. Hmm. And actually, if it is more meaningful, you, the person in power, i.e. a religious leader can right. say, this is wrong. And that's a voice of authority mm. that is coming from the outside and that is can be so helpful for someone who has been sorting through, is this normal? Is yeah. this okay? Yeah. I don't know. I hear in church about 
marriage and that I should forgive my husband Uh and love or love my wife. And um, so often when we talk about marriage, suffering, um, forgiveness in sermons, we never mention what does that look like in the context of violence and abuse in relationships um, ever. Uh, Yeah. Gosh. Jacqueline, I could listen to you talk about this all day. I feel like I our, I talk about it all day. Yeah, I know our <laughs> imaginations are so small. The other thing I hear, and this is we're in the Me Too Church Two uh, moment, right? Mm-hmm. Where churches are waking up to the fact that they have done uh, d- dealt poorly with uh, power abuses, and a lot of it's verbal, emotional abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one of the things uh, in particular when it comes to uh, emotional verbal abuse, but also things like physical or sexual abuse is, is it goes back to something you said with uh, like a pastor when, when, a, when somebody who purports to have been victimized comes to you to say, I believe you. And I hear this all the time. I hear more concern in Christian circles that a quote, godly man will be accused falsely yeah. than an abused person won't be believed. Uh, can you speak to that? How prevalent is it that someone who's abusing is falsely is someone who's not abusing is falsely accused? Should we really be worried about that more than listening to those who are abused? Yes, that's a great question. I'm looking for my notebook right now that I don't <laughs> know where I put because I have notes actually on the this very topic because oh. um, I'm just going to move around and see if I can find it real quick. Um, <laughs> Because when I first wrote policies for our church um, that I'm currently a part of, I presented those policies to everyone and anticipated that very question. Because it is, I mean, that's the common thing I hear as well, is um, how many of these are false reports or, you know, defamation of character, i.e. like wanting to drag someone through the mud because it's personal. Um, So... About of sexual assaults, that's where most of the um, literature is around uh, unsubstantiated accusations is maybe yes. what I would prefer to fake reports, but good, good, that's good. the common term, um, is about 2 to 10%. And the FBI found unfounded 8%. Um, so I think it's not that many. Um, and personally, my philosophy is that I'd rather err on the side of believing than of disbelief. And Mm. if someone is, um, I had many medical doctors when I was a rape crisis advocate tell me there's no physical evidence. This obviously didn't happen. So-and-so's lying. And my response would always be either way. It doesn't really matter to me. I'm here. And, um, if a report is fake, which I don't believe they often are. Um, either way, someone's needing help. Someone's asking for yeah. something. And I'd rather respond on that side of compassion yeah. than on judgment. And yeah. I don't see myself as investig- an investigator. And I actually don't think the ch- church's role is investigations. No. Mm. Um, the church's role is to um, show people Jesus yeah. and to show compassion and to love and to shepherd their members. Um, and so I think either way, someone's asking for help. Yes. And I've seen too, like so, so many people have talked about how difficult it is to come forward and report. Like when you have experienced, 
you know, a sexual assault or something like that, how difficult ben? it is to come forward. Like, what, like, I don't know, just it, it, it boggles the mind, I guess, to think that people would so quickly say, oh, this person's lying. Like, what, what benefit is there to lying about that kind of thing? You know what I mean? Like, because it's your own character. Like, yeah. not only is it, that's something that's mm. one, deeply personal. Yeah. Two, um, there's so many different things. I was talking to a religious leader once who mentioned um, he was responding to a sexual assault and she had been drinking. And so he was saying, so we need to deal with her drinking oh, yeah. um, as we respond. And I was like, no, nope. no, you don't. <laughs> like, that's not, yeah. that's not step one. Like no. step one is healing. We don't even, we shouldn't even be bringing that up. What were you no. wearing? Were you drinking? No. Irrelevant questions. No. Someone no. chose to use violence against another person, the yes. only person responsible is the perpetrator. Yes. That's yeah. the only person responsible for what violence happened. Yeah, we've got these unbiblical or sub-Christian sort of assumptions that seep into the way we handle abuse. Yes. Um, and, and unfortunately, I think as Christians, we need to own that uh, too often we look for ways to blame the abused for their abuse. Mm. Yeah. Right. So, um, well, you wouldn't have been raped if you weren't drunk and wearing a tube top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Or you wouldn't have been drunk if you weren't uh, by yourself hanging out in a bar with people you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these- men can't be raped. Or yeah, good. Men, yeah. men aren't survivors of intimate partner violence or domestic violence sure. because they're more powerful, stronger, um, yes. a whole host of things. And mm. honestly, the more and more I haven't done anti-violence work, the more and more I've realized that that's our desire to want to believe that it won't happen to us. I think oftentimes we are searching for a, well, what happened so that I can avoid that doing X, Y, Z behaviors so that it won't happen to me. Yeah, And that's actually the exact opposite, I think, of where the gospel says to enter in. Entering into people's suffering that things happen and sometimes they're inexplicable. Um, and I think that that is a place where all of us can learn and grow, which is we don't need the details all the time, um, of these types of events, but rather just to enter in with compassion into someone's hurt. Yeah, that's great. Jacqueline, I'm wondering when, when, when someone comes to you and you get a sense they're in danger Mm -hmm. and they don't sense the danger the way that you do. Uh, I think the church can sometimes be really harmful with the way that we talk about marriage, the way we talk about staying with one another and perseverance and, mm-hmm. and those kinds of things. At, at, at what point do you step in and say, I think there's a dangerous situation here and I feel like we need to do something. And so what is it that you do in those moments? Because I get a sense that sometimes the abused comes to the pastor rather than the authorities because they want to fix the abuser uh, and want you to kind of help them and walk with them. Um, like at what point do you kind of step in and say, I think you're in a dangerous situation. And I know this is a tricky question because it's probably a case by case in every way, but um, how do you deal with that in those moments when mm-hmm. you're saying, I, I feel like you're in danger and I want to help you get out of danger first, right? I, I want to remove you from the dangerous situation you're in. Yeah. I think some of it is you can always offer help and assistance, but um, when a survivor or victim leaves 
um, that is the most dangerous time for them. So their risk of homicide, um, of being killed skyrockets when they leave. And so I think that is where I always caution people. Um, you might think they're in danger, but actually the point of leaving is most dangerous. Um, Mm. and so that is the importance of a, of a connection to your local domestic violence agency or sexual assault agency to be able to call them up. Um, whether that be yourself or if that um, individual wants to speak with them to say, Hey, this is what's going on. Here's where we're at. Can you help me? They're not ready to talk to you. Um, they don't want to talk to the authorities, but um, with their permission, I'm speaking to you um, and wanting to kind of get some of your insight on how to help this person. Mm. Um, the other thing I think you mentioned is when do you say, you know, I think you're in danger. I think, that is always okay to reflect back to someone. Hey, I'm really worried. What you're saying is concerning me. I just want you to know that's not my experience. Like that's not what my marriage looks like and not what I think. Um, I'm concerned about that. How do you Mm. feel about that? Um, Mm. So I think there's those types of things. And then lastly would just be whether or not someone leaves, right? One being that that's the most dangerous point in time. Um, a lot of research also says a lot of people will leave and go back because this is a person that they love. Even though there is violence in their relationship, there's also good parts um, for, for some relationships. And so to kind of recognize that it also might take someone a few times, um, they might not want to leave. They really might want to see reconciliation. Um after I would say repentance and turning from that behavior and hopefully um, over time can find healing and, and full restoration of the relationship. But um, I think that's a long process and asking that person how they want to navigate it and giving them options, which is where I think a a, um, service provider is going to be able to help you think through some options And over time, you'll become more knowledgeable of them. Hmm. Um, But it really is giving people options and saying, we're going to be here the whole way, no matter what you choose. We're here to support you. Um, Hmm. We want you to find safety. um, But we also want to see this individual repent from their behavior in turn. And how do we do both? Um, The other thing that just came to mind is, Oftentimes, if they're both going to the same church, that poses a difficulty too. Yes. Um, so I've I've had an instance where you know an individual was um, really just not listening to someone else's no in regards to an interpersonal relationship. Hmm. Um, and there's options there. You could say if you have two services, the person who's um, you know being harmed can say, "I want to attend this one." And the other person attends the other one. Mm -hmm. Another option is uh, that that individual who is harming has to attend with an accountability partner Mm -hmm. and that that person is there to help regulate their behavior because they have yet to show that they can regulate it themselves. Mm -hmm. And the last is if they're really unrepentant and just continuing to um, be abrasive, it's you can ask them to leave your church for a period of time. Or maybe it's saying like, you're not welcome here. We're, our priority here is safety for those who are harmed. Um, we would love if you turn from your behavior to return, but until that point, you can't attend. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's really, really helpful. It is Jacqueline, so helpful. What do you, how, 
how do we how do we call the abuser to repentance? Like, what does that conversation look like? I, I'm sorry, I'm getting into the specifics on all this stuff, but this is this is really really helpful stuff. But yeah. uh, we talked a lot about how we come alongside the abused. Um, how do we call out the abuser? Right, call out the abuse of power, but also not just reject and send away but come alongside in some way and say, we actually want to call you to healing and we want to call you to repentance. Mm -hmm. Uh, What does that look like? Yeah, it's complicated. Um, Like all of this is, I'm sure. Uh, Some of it is making sure you have permission of the person who's been harmed to talk to that other person about those experiences. Um, It can be as specific or vague as that person's comfortable with. Um, If they're not, Uh, comfortable with the specifics, you could still say, hey, I'm seeing some of these behaviors. I'm kind of worried about that. Where's that coming from? Help me understand. Um, I noticed X, Y, Z when, and maybe it's even using a different example than the, the, the partner. Um, So it could be asking some pretty deep questions, but if it is like able to confront it fully, it's doing so in a place where you're also safe um, in a, an environment where maybe you have more than one person, um, and just saying, Hey, this came to our attention. We're worried about it. We want to see healing. We want to see, um, you flourish in relationship, but this is sin and this is harmful and this is not okay. And help us understand where is this coming from? And I think Mm. we can play a role in accountability, but I think there's a lot more that should be processed with counselors, with other professionals who know how to respond. Mm. Um, But really services for people who have used violence are pretty sparse. Um, And so it is kind of trying to find them in your community or um, educating yourself about various practices. Like um, one that's kind of mixed in my mind is restorative justice practices. Um, When they really put the victim at the center, I think they're wonderful. Um, In the criminal justice system, they often get skewed a bit more. So I think that's Hmm. an opportunity for the church to look at more models of transformative justice and restorative justice as Hmm. ways to um, invite people into healing communities. Um, A lot of communities that have experienced a lot of oppression, um, specifically uh, a lot of um, racial dynamics and tension and inequalities, have navigated this for a long time and really well. And so I think it is learning from um, other communities and other models that maybe the church has historically not learned from. Mm. Jacqueline, I just want to, I just want to affirm and point out, like, I have so appreciated the way, just the examples that you've given in how to, you know, how to call people into repentance, how to, you know, uh, highlight if somebody might be in danger, if they're not aware of it. Um, uh, that 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 I think you model for us something that um, a lot of us uh, can learn a lot about how to grow into. In that you model a curiosity and a compassion, as well as an, an embrace of very strong boundaries that I don't think a lot of us have a lot of experience with. Right, the the strong boundary is you're in danger. You need to get out of that relationship right now. You know what I mean? But then all we're doing is perpetuating this sense of like somebody else telling me what to do. Right. But exactly. your but your way of modeling that was beautiful because mm-hmm. you owned your perspective. Hey, that doesn't seem normal to me. I'm worried. My relationship is not like that. And then this curiosity to say, can you tell me more about that? What do you think? 
right? And so you're, you're, you're again, you're giving them power to name their observations and name what they're thinking rather than sort of perpetuating the, the old mode of somebody else telling me what to do. Oh, I'm in danger? Okay. I didn't, I didn't know that. But you're, you, you yeah. draw them out. You say, like, what do you think? What do you see? Here's what I see. And it's, yeah. a subtle, it's a subtle thing, but I just wanted to highlight it and just say, like, I deeply appreciate uh, the way that you're modeling those kinds mm-hmm. of conversations. It's very healthy, very helpful. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, Jacqueline, this has been great. I, we, I mean, we could spend another hour talking to you about this yeah. stuff. Um, <laughs> maybe, to, maybe to close, uh, what, something that's occurring to me is I'm like, as you're talking, I'm getting these imaginative sort of things in my head about what emotional and verbal abuse look like. Mm-hmm. And um, it typically looks like um, somebody being very angry and somebody yelling and somebody being very demeaning. But one of the things we're hearing over and over and over again, not only through our podcast on power, but just reading um, things uh, in the media and the news is that oftentimes emotional and verbal abuse doesn't look as violent as all that. Oh, yeah. Mm. And so could you could you maybe give us so I'm thinking about how, for instance, um, the the strategy of gaslighting comes into play with mm. and and you mentioned how people can't trust their perceptions. And so there's this sometimes around certain kinds of narcissists or certain kinds of abusive leaders, there can be this reality distortion field where you start as the abuse to question your apprehension of reality. Um, and so could you just talk a bit about these more subtle forms of abuse, uh, just as awful, but maybe they don't capture the attention or the imagination that, uh, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm asking you just to help me, Jacqueline, right now. Like, unpack these things a bit so we can be more sensitive to them. Yeah. Uh, one that comes to mind is even um, religious, like, scriptures about uh, mm that you, that we are unworthy, which is true, right? Like we're sinful people um, that, well, and I think there's a piece of us that's still innately good, but the innate sinfulness um, that can sometimes be used and ultimately then an abuser um, can just say things like, yeah, you are, you're worthless. Um, Mm. You're nothing, you're sinful, you're bad. Like it can be, it doesn't have to be angry, but can be, just these slight digs um, that really are painful. And I would say it's also repetitive over time, that it's a continual slight. Mm -hmm. Um, And even more subtly can be a, um, in public, can be a cutting down, a constant, like, I say one thing, well, what about this? Like Mm. a continual that there might be other things that are happening when they're in private, but in public, some of those initial behaviors that I've noticed have kind of just been this, what you say is never right. Um, Mm. It always needs to be reframed. It always um, last word, talking over, taking control, dominance, um, and just a lack of trusting the person to trust themselves. Yeah. Um, can also look like regulating people's friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, so who can you hang out with when you can hang out, um, kind of using control in those ways. Another is finances. So mm-hmm. the inability to, um, make purchases, uh, or even, um, constantly questioning and berating and watching and checking in on how money is being spent mm-hmm. is another big one. Um, and I think in the context of, 
um, an intimate relationship and a sexual relationship can be around consent and um, kind of pushing lines and boundaries where someone may be uncomfortable um, and asserting dominance in often smaller ways um, or smaller ways. I mean, more subtle ways, I should say, uh, that ultimately then can uh, Mm. make it even more complicated within a consent relationship towards sex. Yeah, just just the whole idea of consent is, I mean, we're talking in the last, what, 10 to 20 years that that is even a conversation. Right. Yes. Um, And And that should be had at such a young, like consent age appropriate should happen at such a young age, actually. Yes. This is, uh, so this is the undiscovered country in Christian leadership and Christian discipleship, not only our relationship to power, but our sensitivity to the ways in which demonic strongholds, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's wrong to call this that, the way that shame and fear are used to control and manipulate people, the abuse and the trauma and the scarring that causes and how this is a fundamental leadership issue. Mm. Yeah. Uh, right. It's a fundamental leadership issue in our churches and um, so, Jacqueline, thank you for thank you for what you do. Yeah. Thank you for your research for yeah, giving us an education today. Yep. Yes, and if I can add, I think there's there's two things that um, I've been talking with multiple churches about, which are like just small ways you can begin to create a culture that says you're safe. Mm. Um, and one of them is asking permission before you touch someone before prayer. If you're going to put a hand on someone, um, just asking permission. Hey, is it okay if I touch you, even if it's like a subtle or even, um, I find myself, even I'm more of an expressive person. My hands are moving this whole time, like talking. Um, and so I think we, we are very comfortable in Christian culture with touching each other. Um, when really that can be a trigger for someone. Um, it also means like cueing people about changes in light. So darkness, um, can also be a really scary thing. And so how do you cue someone to that as well. Um, hey, we're going to dim the lights. So walking people through um, what what is going to happen in their environment around them to reduce hmm. surprise and potential triggers. Um, and then the last would be to just start talking about violence, um, to incorporate that in sermons, to post flyers about information in the community and bathrooms where the um, opposite gender is not going um, is a great way to just even... Um, start to create that culture and connect to other providers in your community. Yeah. So thanks for letting me sneak that in. No, oh, that's great. Well, Thank you so much. That's helpful. This has been great. God bless you. God bless your work. Um, hey, you. how can people, um, are you, are you publishing? Are you active on social media? If people want to engage with what you're doing, can they do that um, online? Yeah. So we do, I do have some um, publishing. So you can always just, Google Jacqueline Houston Kolnick and see a variety of things I publish in different places. Um, I have a, a work email, I guess you could say, uh, which is jdhkconsulting at gmail.com. So I'm always happy to connect with other people through that. Um, sure. I don't do Twitter, but I probably should start to. What is that? Tweeting? Tweet? T- yeah, tweeting. you don't. I'm a millennial. I don't, know. I don't, I don't know. Not do very it. successful don't do it. That's yeah. okay. Stay away from it. I think it's, we don't judge you if you do, but no, I, yeah, just, right, I right. cannot figure it it's out. Probably, it's probably all going away in a couple of years. Like, who knows? I think Twitter, I, I have this fantasy that Twitter is just going to disappear. And then we'll all like kind of like shake our heads and go, oh, that was weird. 
and then like never think a thing of it again. So anyway. You know you can make that happen in your own life, Ben. (laughs) True, yeah. My subjective experience of that could be, I could do that. I've had to in the past. Very true. Well, good to spend time with you, Jacqueline. Thanks so much for making time for us. Yes, have a great day, guys. See ya. Peace. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.